We're in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Remember, we're going through the whole book of 1 Timothy, okay? We're going through the whole book of 1 Timothy. We're starting at chapter, we're, we're at chapter 5 now, okay? We're going to read it, and then we'll start expounding on it, okay? Let's see. It starts out this way. Verse 1, chapter 5. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as a brother. Older women as a mother. Younger, men, uh, younger women as a sister in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works if she has brought up children and has shown hospitality has washed the feet of the saints, has, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll young widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not say. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, and manage their households and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Let the elders who rule be, uh, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when, he, when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves its wages. So do not admit a charge against elders except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who, who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging and do nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in laying on the hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Let us pray. Father God, I pray that you would help us this morning as we have read your word. I pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that could receive this message this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to first start off with this chapter because... There's a whole lot in this chapter that we could gloss over and we go, well, Pastor, this doesn't sound real important for us, okay? It kind of sounds like he's talking about widows and then he's talking about elders and it's not really that important. 
But I'm going to start out with something that's going to shed some light on an understanding for you that elders, of elders' first responsibility, according to Matthew Henry, according to R.C. Sproles, according to uh, J Jowers and White, pastor's first responsibility is rebuking. It's one of the, probably the least favorite thing a pastor has to do is to rebuke people. Did she write notes? Oh, no, you're just watching the recording. <laughs> hey, bro, can you turn, uh, unplug the HDMI cord? There you go. Thank you. <laughs> I, looked, I thought you guys were looking at notes. I'm like, I know she didn't type notes for this one. <laughs> the first thing that I wanted to show you is that a pastor, he, he has a job to rebuke, Okay. And it starts out saying, do not rebuke an older man. Now, is he saying, hey, you can't correct older people? No, he says, but exhort them as you would a father. Amen? He says, and exhort a younger man as a brother, and exhort an older woman as a mother, and exhort a younger woman as a sister in all purity. That's really important. We'll get to that in a minute. In other words, we're supposed to be a family. Amen. Do you see the first connotation here is we're to be a family. And the shepherd, the pastor, is supposed to look at you like family. You understand? So I'm supposed to look at the older men in a fatherly way, respectfully. You see what I'm saying? First commandment. What's the first commandment with promise? He said, honor your father and your mother, right? So we're doing that even in the New Testament, but we're doing it with each other and not just with our parents. We're doing it with the older fathers and mothers in the church and the brothers and sisters in the church. So he's telling Timothy there's a way to rebuke people, and he's telling Timothy there's a way to rebuke people at each different area of the family. Amen? So I can't talk to the father the same way that I may exhort the brother and I can't exhort the mother the same way I'm going to exhort the sister amen and there's a lot more implications that go into this that we'll get into I wanted to first read that Matthew Henry uh, he had a little uh, excerpt about this whole chapter he says and this is quoting him here the apostle directs Timothy to have in how to reprove in verse 1 and 2 adverts to widows both elder and younger from verse 3 to 16 he talks to elders from verse 17 to verse 19 and he treats uh, the public reproof of elders in verse 20 he gives a solemn charge of this ordinance in verse 21 and 22 and refers to the health of Timothy in verse 23 and states that men's sins to be very different in their effects verse 24 and 25 I've got a note here for me from me here Paul is giving Timothy guidelines on rebuking and exhorting he names four groups older men younger men older women younger women Father, brother, mother, sister. In other words, we're to treat the church like our family. Amen? Amen? This command balances the exhortation that Paul gives to Timothy in 4, in chapter 4, verse 12, which we read last week. If you flip back there to verse 12, he says this. He says, let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and in conduct in love in faith and in purity and if you'll notice he tells timothy don't let anybody look down on you for your age but when you're exhorting or rebuking an older man you must do it with the respect like you're talking to a father amen in other words don't abuse your authority as a pastor and just jump all over everybody's cases. You see that? That's very important, okay? 
It's very important stuff. And like I said, we miss a lot of this stuff when we only go to the verses we like. You know what I mean? Instead of reading, this is what I'm changing in how I'm preaching is I'm reading through entire books. We're going to go through the whole thing, and we're going to get everything out of it. We're going to mine it like we're mining for gold, okay? We're going to get every nugget we find, every little scrap that I can pick up. That's what we're going to do, amen? So this is the first thing he's telling us is, first of all, your family, and I need you to respect one another, okay? And this goes along with the rest of the New Testament where he said, submit yourselves one to another, for this is right in the Lord, right? Just think about all the other places in the New Testament we're told to prefer one another above each other, above ourselves, right? So as a pastor, we get this idea that the pastor is this guy that's just calling all the shots. And in all reality, the pastor is the servant of the whole church. I'm here to serve the whole church. The servant. He who would be great among you must be the servant of all. Amen. So let's keep going. I don't want to get lost on some of, the, uh, some of these subjects I may get lost on, okay? Timothy is not to abuse his authority as a pastor or elder, but is to treat all these people with appropriate respect. Now, I want to draw a distinction here that most commentators draw a distinction on, and that's the very last portion here. It says where... Younger women as sisters in all purity. And there's something very, very important here that I want to read to you that uh, Sproul says on this subject, okay? R.C. Sproul says, in all purity, the final phrase almost certainly focuses on the pastor's relationship to younger women in which increasing temptations to impurity may arise. Elsewhere, Paul advises Titus to instruct older men and older women and younger men directly, but he indicates that older women are to train younger women in living godly. So the indication here when he's telling him, don't, don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, exhort a a younger man as a brother, exhort a, a older woman as a mother. He changes the dynamic when he gets to the younger woman as a sister in all purity because the temptation to build a relationship with the pastor and we'll say it from experience, the youth pastor can be very trepidatious at best. And many people's ministry have gotten totally sidetracked because they didn't draw distinct lines of who I can talk to, when I can talk to them, and what's appropriate types of conversations. Amen? Now, I'm not standing up here as a, perfin, a person who was perfect because as a youth pastor, I made many mistakes. Many people on this side of the room know that. And I don't hide that. But God has given me grace and wisdom in older age. Amen? So the indication is there's a way that the older women need to bring along the younger women. Because the pastor can have the pulpit for them. But the pastor cannot have the office or private counsel with them. This is a very good idea. It's a very wise counsel that Paul has given Timothy, okay? Now, Timothy's being given this because Timothy is the youngest of all the elders that Paul has called, okay? I want to read just an excerpt here from Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry says, if Timothy so mortified a man to this world and to the flesh and the lusts of it, had need of such a caution as this, much more do we need this caution. Amen? I believe a lot of pastors, a lot of youth pastors, could save themselves a lot of headache, a lot of repenting, 
a lot of black eyes to the church if they would heed these words. Now, I know when I was a young youth pastor, I didn't listen to nobody. So I understand. But I'm glad that God gave me enough grace to just see me through that. Amen. Now we need to learn and understand that this is there. And I'm going to tell you the honest to goodness truth. At 21 years old, I had no idea this verse existed. <laughs> okay? I had no idea. I didn't read this verse. I didn't read this chapter. Okay? I didn't. We all read the, the, the famous verses, the ones that uh, Todd told us about. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. And all those great, encouraging verses. We didn't want to hear any rebuking or exhorting or teaching. We didn't want to hear that. We just wanted you to make us feel good about our relationship with Christ. And I, as a younger minister, that's all I wanted to do for people, too. I just wanted to make you feel good about your relationship with Christ. I wasn't teaching you anything, okay? I was just encouraging you to be excited about your relationship with Christ. And I think, had I had a pastor that really took me under his wing and taught me what it was to be an elder, I would have known this a long time ago. Amen? So now, some of you younger people, well, one of them anyway, can take this to heart. Amen? Uh, verse 3 through 16, Paul identifies widows and the needs of widows. This is very important for us because we live in a day and an age where people go, well, you got to help everybody. And we don't like it. I've been in business meetings. We've been, been, we've been in business meetings in this church. Do you know how hard it was for us to, to say we can only help somebody financially one time a year? We made that decision like a year and a half ago, right? Not this past July, but the July before, right? We did it at the, we met at the uh, Utopia downtown. And we were like, people's got to only one time a year because it, it just gets too much when you're handing money out all the time. And when you got a building, you can't do that. You know, when we, when we met at the Senior Citizens Building, we had money to give out all the time. But now we got bills to pay. We got stuff we have to work on. We got a building we got to fix. Amen. So we have to be wise in our money. We have to be good stewards over what God has given us. Not only that, Paul, here, you're going to see it. I'm going to read it to you again, and I'm going to go through it. Paul is giving examples of who the church is going to financially support and who they're not. We don't like that in modern day church. We want to help everybody all the time. Why? Because it's going to show the love of God. No. It doesn't show the love of God to, to give money to people over and over and over and have no expectation of them at all. It doesn't show the love of God. It shows that you're, you're fine just handing your money out and that God doesn't expect anything from anybody. Which is not what we see in this scripture. Okay? That's tough to say. It's even tougher to hear. But one of my favorite preachers, Steve Lawson, this morning, I was re-watching a video of his, and he said, he said, every word of this book is true, and it can't be changed. He said, it might be hard to swallow sometimes, but you can't change it. Amen? Now, I want to I go through a couple things here. Let's start at verse 3. He says, honor widows who are truly widows. Well, what does that mean, Pastor? Aren't you glad Paul goes on and explains what he means, okay? I don't have to sit here and explain it to you. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, stop. I'm going to stop you right there. The first thing to be truly a widow is you are all alone, period. You don't have any kids that can take care of you. You don't got no grandkids to take care of you. Just because your husband died did not mean you were a widow. See that? He said you have to be all by yourself, alone. 
No kids to take care of you. Nothing. Okay? He says, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to show godliness to their own household and to some uh, return to their, and make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, and now he's re-emphasizing this. Notice he says, he, she who is truly a widow left all alone has set her hope and her hope on God and continues in supplication and prayer day and night. Now, I'm going to stop right there. I just want to read a few things. Honor. This word honor, when it starts out, it says honor. This isn't just the word like respect. This word honor is used later on when it's talking about elders. This word honor is meaning I'm going to respect you, but I'm also going to honor you. They call it an honorarium. Or in other words, I'm going to take care of you. The church is going to take care of this person. Okay? So this word honor is more than just I respect you. This word is honor respect as well as taking financial or physical care for this person. Uh, verse 3 here where it says who are truly widows. I wanted to read this quote to you. The care of widows who frequently had great material needs is a major theme in the Old Testament and was a special concern in the early church Paul's designation truly widows means that not every widow is eligible for the church's material benevolence. Women whose husband had died but who had children or family members to provide for them were not truly widows by Paul's criteria here in verse 4 and verse 8. But only those left all alone, verse 5. Also, younger widows are under or under 60 years old who can remarry and so fulfill their uh, calling as wives and mothers should do so rather than being financially supported by the church. Now, I want to read this portion that he's talking about here because we stopped just before it. He says, uh, but she who is self-indulgent is dead already. We'll get into that in a minute. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own relatives, especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is no less than 60 years of age. Now, notice here that a widow in the early church, there was an age limit. No less than 60 years old. That means you had to be older than 60 to be considered to be enrolled on the rolls of a widow. Okay? And he gives even more criteria. Let's keep reading. Having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children and has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, and has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. I read this, and I was like, wow. I mean, nowadays, we just want to see that you, you, you really don't have a job, and your electric bill really needs paid. So we don't feel like we're getting ripped off. And here Paul's saying, look, I don't care if your electric bill needs paid or not. If you're not really a widow, the church ain't helping you. We're going to help those who really do need help and not the ones who have other people that could be helping them. Now I'm going to backtrack here for a second, and we're going to talk about several things. Number one, a, true, a widow is someone who's truly a widow, left all alone, no children, no grandchildren, and her hope is set on God. Amen? Not just notice that they're not taking care of unbelieving widows. Do you understand me? You, you're, this is, I'm not making this up. This is right here in the text, okay? And the idea that the church has to take care of everybody else and then to kind of forget about their own people is not found in Scripture. We're supposed to take care of ours first and then if we have left over. He said first, you know, your house, and then, you know, God first, and then out there, okay? 
Matthew Henry says it is appointed that those widows only should be re relieved by the church's benevolence who are pious and devout, not wanting widows that live in pleasure. Notice that Paul makes this distinction. Paul says, uh, right here he says, uh, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives, right? If you keep reading where we left off at verse, uh, where'd it go? Uh, let's start from verse 4. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to show godliness to their own household to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Uh, she who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues the supplication both day and night. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without repro reproach. He's saying the widow that wants to live in wantonness or pleasure, who's just wanting to get stuff from the church, but's not living her life for God, not doing anything to help the church, be in prayer, watch the disciples. You, you heard the whole list. There were seven things. No, nine things. Nine things to be enrolled. There's eight things. No less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one husband, reputation for good works, brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the feet of the disciples uh, or the saints, cared for the afflicted, and devoted herself to every good work. These things are the criteria that she had to meet. Amen? Why is that important today? Because I think the church is wasting a lot of money Helping other people and leaving their own people to fend for themselves. And we should be taking care of our people first and then helping whoever we can after the fact. That's how they did it. No, no, we don't. We don't. Why? Because we're not helping our people. We're just helping everybody. Which is, God does want everybody to come to Christ, right? The, the idea is to go out there and preach to everybody, right? But somehow we think by doing the good work for them or giving benevolence to them, somehow that's going to make them, but it won't. You understand that lost people will use you over and over and over and over, and they don't care. They will keep using you. They will not show up for church. We have lived for three and a half years in evidence of this. People, we've helped thousands of people. We gave the first year that this church was in existence, we gave over $10,000 away. We only brought in $11,000 that year, and we gave 10000 of it away, and it didn't add to a single number Amen. in a seat. Okay, but our idea nowadays is, oh, if I do this, then people will come in. But if you're only, if they're only coming in because you're giving them stuff, they're not there for the right reason. People need to come to Christ because they realize how lost and desperately undone they are and how much they desperately need him. That's what should cause people to come and be a part of the church. Notice the word church is not, th th this church service is not for unbelievers. Church met. The believers met. Not unbelievers. The church is the meeting of the believers. Do you understand? That's why when they gave out benevolence, it was for the believers. It said that they all gave their and sold their land and brought the money in and they divided it up amongst themselves as any had need. Amen. It didn't say they gave to everybody. It said they divided it up among themselves as they had need. Amen? So I'm just trying to show you that we're kind of getting off into some wonky way of quote-unquote using benevolence as a uh, evangelistic tool a carrot, a bait and switch, and it doesn't work, okay? Because we've been doing it for years, it's not working. 
I would think that we probably need to get back to a more biblical understanding of taking care of the household of God first and then everyone else. Now, I want to go on to a couple more things. These others in verse 6 that are dead are spiritually dead, loving this world rather and its pleasures rather than God. Notice in verse 6 he says, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even when she lives. That's a pretty poignant statement. What does he mean? Well, he's talking about women who are just coming to church and want to get stuff from the church, but their affection is not on Christ. They're not following him. They're dead. They're lost. Remember Ephesians? But we, when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, it's the same word used here. You understand? They're dead. And then in verse 7, he says, command these things. This isn't a good suggestion. And I was taking this personal. I'm pastor, right? And I'm thinking, man, I've been doing it wrong. And here Paul's correcting me 2,000 years later going, command these things. In other words, the church ain't just going to help any old body. We're going to help our people first. Okay? Period. He said, command these things that they may be above reproach. And he's talking about widows. Okay? First of all, he's talking about these widows. He said, these are, this is how it's going to go if you're a widow. Okay? And you're going to have to be above reproach to get on the church rolls as a widow for the church to help you. The context here is widows. I want to read to you a verse that has been taken out of context. And it's so funny because I read it to Carmen while I was working on my sermon. And she took it out of context right when I read it to her. You ready? But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This verse has been used to browbeat men over and over and over. Who? stay-at-home dad or whatever it is. Oh, see, it's the man's job. Well, technically, it's not the man's job. And technically, this is talking about widows. All the context before it, the context after it, is widows and taking care of relatives. Amen. And I want to show you something. This is from 1759. Matthew Henry says this. If any provide not for his own, etc. If any man or woman does not maintain their own poor relatives who belong to them, they do in effect deny the faith. Do you see how this isn't a slight against men who ain't work? Because look, there's reality. As the pastor of this church, my job is pastoring this church. I don't have a nine to five. I don't draw an income tax. But my job is this. I take it very seriously. And he talks about that later on when he's talking about honoring your elders. Okay, we'll get to that in a second. I don't want to harp on that, but I'm, what I'm really talking about is this verse being taken out of context. The reality is he's talking about if we as a body, if, if we're just trying to use the church to help us when there's other relatives that could be helping this person, Rather than putting the burden on the church, that's what needs to happen and not burden the church with something that other people should be taking care of. That's what this verse is about. It's not about beating your husband up or your boyfriend up about not having a job. Okay? Now, the Bible does say if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. Amen? It does say that. And I believe man should work. You're looking at my job right here. Amen. This is it. You want me to get a raise? We need more people. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That, that's the truth. That's the truth. I have given everything. March of 2019, I stepped away from Cessna, the best job I ever had, because I wanted to be this church's pastor full time and not just part of the time. Amen? I've given everything to do this job. Not because you asked me to, but because I know that's what God wants me to do. 
Amen. Now, with all that being said, just don't beat people up with that verse. The reality is it's talking about anybody. Because later on, right after he says that, he talks about uh, how if there's any uh, widows have any families left, they need to take care of her, right? Or the, it's all about this widow thing. It's not about suddenly people think, well, I can just pull that out of context. Well, no, the context is widows before this verse and after this verse. Right after verse 8, it says this, let a widow be enrolled, right? So what does, it, what does that tell me? We're still talking about widows, right? So let's keep going. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years old. Look there, I named out the, the eight things that you had to be to actually be a widow, okay? I'm not going to beat this dead horse, but we get the idea that there. If you're going to be a widow, first of all, you're going to be a devout believer. You're going to be husband of, or wife of one husband. You're going to be over the age of 60. And you're going to be doing these other godly things before the church is going to say, okay, we'll financially take care of you. Right? But we don't have that expectation nowadays. I can't tell you how many thousands of dollars this year that we've given away that now, it's a good thing. God, you know, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. But the, the understanding is some of that money probably could have helped people in our own church. But we're helping other people before our own self, and I think that's backwards. And I think our church needs to do that better. Okay? We have all, our hearts in the right place, but our head ain't. Amen? So we need to get our head in the right spot and take care of our people who have need in our own church and then help who we can. Amen? Amen? Biblically, that's what I'm seeing. Are you seeing that? Alright, well let's keep going. <laughs> I love how he, he starts talking about the younger widows, okay? But refuse to enroll younger widows. Now, you use the word refuse anything in the New, new Age American church. And suddenly you're the antichrist. Like, I refuse to help you. Oh my gosh, you don't love God or people or anything. That sign out there is a big lie. You don't love anybody. Why? Because I've already given you money six times and you still haven't got yourself in order to, to figure out how to manage your money and pay your bills and get your stuff together. I mean, how, how long does it take? Okay? I love you. Been without a I've been without a paying job until July of this last year. I was, it was over a year and a half. Carmen and I's bills paid. Carmen and I didn't call the board and say, hey, we need money. Carmen and I didn't call Bryant and Sierra and Mike and Judy and, and Barbie and say, hey, we're down on our luck. We need to do this and we need to do that. We didn't do it. Not saying that in some kind of prideful way. What I'm saying is if there's a way for me to pay my own bills, that's what I'm going to do and I'm not going to uh, just expect the church to do it, even though I'm the pastor. Do you understand? We are responsible for our stuff, okay? And we need to learn to be. We need to be adults and stop thinking like children. Amen? Amen? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on before I get... So I heard rocks starting to get pulled out of pockets. I'm going to keep going. Besides that, he says, Refuse to enroll younger women, for when their passions draw them away from Christ... They desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Now, some people have taught that this is Paul saying you can't get remarried. But that's ridiculous because in verse 14, he tells the younger women, look, younger women, your younger widows, I'd rather you just go get married, get a husband, have a family, and live a godly life, right? So what's he talking about? incurs 
condemnation. Now I'm going to tell you something that I didn't know and didn't really put two and two together. But these older widows who got put on the list at the church, it seems that they would have taken a vow of celibacy for the rest of their life. And if a younger woman was to get put on the roll, and then a year later she starts going, man, I really want to have a baby, and that guy looks good, and I want to marry him, and I, there ain't no legal reason why I can't, she would have to break the vow to go and remarry. Her remarrying is not the problem. The problem would be the vow that she was taking in coming into the church roles as a widow. You understand? Now, I did some research on this, and I found this is what it's talking about. Verse 11 through 14, refuse younger widows to enroll. Here's why. Very practical reasons. He says, uh, if you keep reading from verse uh, 12 here, he says that they so incurred... Uh, incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going from house to house, and not only idlers, but gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. And then he says, so I would have younger widows to marry, bear children, manage their household, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. Notice that. There is reasons why Paul wanted the younger women to just go ahead and remarry and don't don't put yourself in a position number one where you're going to tell the church hey I'm a widow I'm going to be a widow for the rest of my life I'm going to take this vow and then break your vow to go get married okay uh, just don't do that Paul gives such attention to widows because some had come under the influence of false teachers now uh, 2 Timothy 3, 6 and 7, we've seen where, you know, these kind of false teachers creep into the houses of silly women and lead them astray by their own passions and lust. Remember that verse? It's these women he's probably referring to, these younger widows whose husbands had died and tried to get put on the rolls at the church and then got taken away. Amen? Now, I want to read... A little excerpt here about this, okay? Just because. Uh, verse 11, I have a note here. It says, they desire to marry. Such a desire in young widows is not wrong in and of itself, nor would remarriage necessarily draw them away from Christ. In fact, Paul recommends this course in verse 14. It is possible that enrollment on the list of widows is what makes subsequent uh, remarriage a grievous offense that incurs condemnation, verse 12. So such enrollment seems to have entailed a vow of lifelong celibacy in singleness. Now, I didn't want to take his word for it only, so I went and looked up lots of commentators. And almost every commentator I read says the same thing, that being on the role of widows, then Matthew Henry back in the Puritan days, if you go back to uh, uh, oh, John Calvin back in the Reformation time, they all said the same thing, okay? They're saying the same thing here, is that these women had to have taken some kind of vow when they were put on the rolls, okay? In other words, the church is going to take care of you, and if you've got a husband, then we shouldn't be taking care of you. Right? That's the, that's the idea here. Okay? Now, I don't want to, I, I got to keep going because we're going to get lost. What time is it? Anybody got time? Six till? Okay, I got time. I got time. All right. <laughs> Verse 17 through 20. Now, here's, this is very important stuff here, okay? Ruling elder and a preaching elder. It seems we have two. Let's start at verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. I want to notice, the first thing I notice is that there's two separate types of elders listen, listed here. There's elders who are elders who are just kind of like running the affairs of the church 
And then there's the elders that are put in responsibility for preaching and teaching God's word. Okay? He makes a distinction here, his own self. He says, let elders who rule well be considered of worthy of double honor, especially elders who labor in preaching and teaching. Amen? Now, with all this being said, the double honor, the word there, honor, is the same word that we found when we were talking about widows. In other words, the people that have left their regular job to come and pastor and shepherd the church in the teaching and the preaching of God's word should be taken care of. That's what it says. It's what he's talking about. Okay? And if you want more verses for that, you can write these down. Acts, 3, or Acts 4, 34. Acts 19, 19. 1 Corinthians 6 and 20. 1 Corinthians 7, 23. 1 Corinthians 9, 9 through 14. And Galatians 6 and 6. All talk about the same subject that a workman is worth his hire and that the pastor is to be taken care of. Amen? Amen. Now, when our church first started, we could barely afford to pay rent at the senior citizen building. Right? Right? So there wasn't no need for all that, and I did everything I could to not do that. But when we got to the point where the church was only going to grow so far, we didn't have a building. You know, we had... 50 people meeting at the senior citizens building and I just kind of felt like we hit a plateau because I had no time to look for a building. I had no time to go to the bank and talk about a building. Nothing. I was working 60 hours a week. You know what I mean? And I just hit that wall like I knew if I didn't do something to change what was going on that we were going to, we're not going to go anywhere. You know what I mean? So as a pastor, I said, you know what? I got to be devoted to this job. It was kind of like, it was kind of like Jesus said, you can't serve me and money. You're either going to love one, hate the other, you're going to love one, despise the other. In other words, I'm not saying Paul still worked on tents, but he did not do that full time, okay? Promise you, Paul was not working full time making tents. He'd done it on occasion, okay? We don't have any record, but one time it was mentioned, okay? One time it was mentioned that he did that, okay? Hard to do that from jail. He was in jail for five years of his life in ministry, okay? It's hard to hold down a full-time job in jail. <laughs> Amen? So we got to understand the dynamics that were going on in taking care of the elder because the elder that's preaching and teaching was leaving his fishing boats, Peter and Paul. And What did Peter do? He left his fishing boat, left his dad. James and John, they left their father right there in the boat and they went and devoted themselves. Acts chapter uh, 6. Acts chapter 6, the disciples devoted themselves to prayer and the reading of the word. They didn't do anything else. That was their job. Praying, preaching the word of God. That was it. Amen? Now, I don't want to get lost on that one either. I just wanted to point out that that word double honor doesn't mean you ought to pay the pastor twice as much. It does not mean that. What it means is those who are leading the church need to be respected. Amen? With with a higher esteem because they're leading God's church. Notice that he didn't say that they're just ruling. He said they're ruling well. <laughs> Amen? So pastor, elder, worth double honor if he's ruling well, especially those who are preaching and teaching the word. Amen? Now, there's like I said earlier, I don't know that I really preached the whole entire counsel of God when I first started preaching. I was preaching more to encourage people. So if I was going to give myself a grade as an elder, I'd have gave myself about a, a D minus at 20, 20 years old, 21 years old. I might have gave myself a D minus now, knowing what I know right now, okay? 
And the reality is that I needed somebody to lead me, guide me, to help me learn what it was to be an elder. Amen. Everything I know about being an elder is just from experience of what not to do. And now that I'm actually preaching the entire counsel of the Bible, I understand what I did wrong. Amen. So if you want to be a pastor, just don't do what I did and do what Paul says. Okay. <laughs> Ruling well. Amen. Now, the last thing I wanted to note on here was Paul gives this charge to elders very seriously too. He says, you can't bring up a charge against an elder without evidence of two or three witnesses. Okay? What does that mean? I want to talk about this word because nowadays it just takes an allegation. But that's not what he said. He didn't say allegation. He said witnesses. That means people that actually saw the transgression. Okay? Because nowadays it's just we live in this world of, well, they did this and they done that. Okay? Nobody witnessed it. They just heard about it. So-and-so told me. That's gossip. Okay? can't be gossip. It's got to be evidence from those who are actually hurt. Amen? Two or three witnesses. Amen? Why is that important? Well, number one, he just told you to honor those that are ruling well. So if somebody's going to bring an accusation, you've got to know that it's true, first of all. It's got to be evidentially based truth, not hearsay or whatever. Amen? Paul takes it so serious, he says this. He says, do not even admit a charge against an elder, verse 19. Don't admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. In other words, don't even listen, right? You don't even bring it up to the church if there ain't no evidence of two or three witnesses. It doesn't even get brought up. You'd be like, nope, we're not hearing that nonsense. I knew a pastor one time that had all kinds of crazy stuff said about him. And it was shameful that the church we were going to, nobody was standing up for him. Nobody. I preached his funeral. I loved that man. But he was done very wrong by false accusations. Uh, lastly, he says, if they persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that all may be in fear. What does that mean? Well, if they're going to rebuke the elder openly, what are they going to do if I mess up? Right? So don't think... Oh, that, yeah, it's our job to do that to the pastor. Well, don't forget, it's everybody else's job to do that to you, too. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So before you go throwing your stones, you might want to get the log out of your eye before you go help your brother get the speck out of his eye. Amen. Amen. Finally, the last few verses, they sound really confusing. When you read them, he says, uh, the sins of some are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those who are, uh, even those that are not, cannot remain hidden. Now this sounds like double talk all the time to me, okay? Conspicuous sin, go before you in judgment, and Blah, 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 blah. I had to look some stuff up to understand that my own self, okay? I'm going to give you what I found. This is a quote from R.C. Sprouls. He says, although Timothy and the other elders and the church members cannot see into other people's hearts, the spiritual state of the heart eventually comes to light for ill or for good. Therefore, the church should 
called its officers on the basis of the observed behavior, and those officers should hold each other accountable based on what they have seen in the other's actions and the actions of one another. In other words, we're not going to know the heart of everybody, okay? And he's talking to Timothy, the elder, who's calling elders, and he's trying to instruct him on what elders should be and how they should be taken care of. And then he says, look, an elder, and this is right after he's talking about accusation, right? He said, we're not going to be able to see into the hearts and the minds of all these people. We're just going to have to look at the fruit in their life and make a sound judgment about whether we see fruit and it's the right fruit. Amen? I know this wasn't like jump off the stage Rod Parsley preaching today, okay? But I think there's a lot of good information in there that we can use. Number one, number one, we're a family, okay? Number two, we need to take care of our own people and there needs to be an accountability to the people we are helping at our church to understand that we're going to help you, but we're not just going to, we're not going to help you pay your bills because you bought too many cigarettes and you didn't have enough money left over for your bills. You know what I mean? We're not, uh, there's, there's, there's an understanding of I want to help you, but I can't help you when you're not doing the right things yourself. Amen. Because that's how the church should operate. Amen? And we ought to help those, but we also ought to have an accountability to those being helped. Amen? As a pastor, I'm accountable to you. You guys have an expectation, whether you say it or not, you have an expectation of how I act and how I present myself in the community or whatever. Okay? You, even if and it might differ from this person to that person, but the reality is you guys have an expectation, right? There, there's an expectation of you when you call me and say, hey, pastor, what does this mean, right? There's an expectation of when, when family members are, are in the hospital. Hey, pastor, my family member's in the hospital. Hey, pastor, uh, we're going through a problem. Can you pray for us, right? There's, there's expectations here. The expectations for the church is the same. Okay, we have expectations of each other, and even if we want to help, we need to set those expectations and be firm in keeping them. Amen. Lastly, talking about elders, number one, I'm not here to toot my own horn and get you to say, "Oh, good, we got a good pastor," or any of that. I'm saying that the idea that a pastor leaves his vocation to come and do this only is in itself should be honored. And I'm not talking about pay. I'm talking about the understanding that he could be doing something else, but he's not. Amen? And that's how we uh, need to look at each other with that same... Notice how it started out with the pastor respecting you. Notice that? chapter started out with the pastor respecting those he's talking to, rebuking, correcting, exhorting, all that stuff. And it ends in a way where you're honoring the one who's doing that for you. Amen? Amen. So let's stand. I know this wasn't jumping off the <laughs> up and down preaching, but it was good stuff. I found a lot of good nuggets in there that I can take with me. Amen? Amen. Every, every commentary, I looked this up. You know what the title of it was? Godly behavior in the church. Almost every one of them. Wearsby, uh, Matthew Henry, Sproles, they all had almost a similar title about godly behavior in the church. Amen. And how the church should function. We need to know that stuff, right? We don't want to fly by the seat of our pants. It's not church our way. It's church God's way. Amen. Amen? So if we're going to run God's church, we need to run God's church God's way. Amen? Well, I think that's what the, the important things I found in there, okay? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters, my fathers and mothers in the church. Lord, I thank you for those who we can help and those who we do help. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding 
as we go about the business of your church, that we would do it according to your word, according to your will, according to the spirit of your word, God. Let your spirit dwell richly in us. And Lord, as a pastor, I want to take this opportunity to thank you for the men and women of this congregation that you have given us. Lord, I pray that you would continue to give me wisdom and understanding as I lead and help me to be humble in doing so. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, guys.